Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jackson. Might have a go. He does have a go! And Johnny Jackson must have sealed it now for Tottenham. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you are keeping well as we continue to fight and battle COVID-19. Our thoughts are with all our listeners, friends and family. As I said, we hope you're keeping well at this time. And again, we've taken ourselves back in between the periods of the 90s and the millennium era to bring you yet another former Spurs player. But delighted to firstly welcome back onto the show. I've got John from Lily White Rose. John, how are you keeping? Hello, Rick. Yeah, doing really well, mate. And uh, just sentiment the views you, you just made for all our, our listeners out there. I hope you guys are keeping well and safe and listening to those government guidelines. And uh, we've got a cracking pod to bring you tonight. We have indeed. So, again, we've rolled back the times, as we are doing in these last couple of weeks, last month or so, to bring you a former Spurs player. Delighted to welcome onto the show. He played for us between the period of 1999 to 2006. He's the current Charlton Athletic Assistant Manager, Delighted to have on the show, Johnny Jackson joins us. Johnny, how are you keeping? How are you? Really good evening, James. Thanks for having us on. Oh, pleasure, Johnny. Delighted to have you on. How are you and the family at the moment? Are you okay? Yeah, we're all good. Going a bit stir-crazy, but all healthy, <laughs> so can't complain. I've got to ask you, Johnny, for a man that you're so heavily involved in football at the moment, being obviously you're an assistant manager at Charlton, what is it just like at the moment trying to cope without football? I know, obviously, at the moment, family, that, of course, comes first, but having no football at the moment, trying to keep the players occupied in terms of trying to give them routines away from being able to train them. How difficult has that been for you? Yeah, really hard, really strange. Obviously, not, not being able to get up and go go to work in the morning. It's, it's all I've ever done since, well, yeah, 1999, what you just said there. So not being able to get up and go to work and, and missing, missing it, like missing my fix from that point of view. And difficult, really difficult sort of, coordinating from from afar really and trying to keep on top of everything and keeping your your players motivated and and fit is re- it's really difficult really really challenging um but obviously unprecedented times and everyone's in the same boat so so we're just getting on with it and doing the best we can really yeah no it's like i say unprecedented times i think any of us can quite believe what we're going through we hope we're all going to come out the other side of this unscathed john 
I'm going to let you start things off with Johnny to take us on his Spurs journey. Yeah, Johnny, it's a real pleasure to, to interview you tonight. And uh, I've got a lot of questions for you. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be really eager and excited to hear from you. So I'm going to roll back to the years to start with. And obviously, you came through the, the youth setup at Spurs when the club was still based at Spurs Lodge up in Chigwell, having signed the first professional terms in 2000, although you would have joined the club much, much earlier than that. I actually yeah. understand, though, that you grew up in the Camden area and were a big Arsenal fan, regularly going to Highbury with your old man. How did your sort of family take the news that you'd be signing for Spurs and, and sort of... Uh, you know, how did your support of Arsenal affect your time at Spurs at all? It didn't, to be honest. I, I was at, I've been at Spurs since I was 10. I joined wow. Tottenham when I was 10. So, obviously, I, I mean, I signed pro at 17, 18 in, in 99, but I'd been at the club for a long, long time before that. So, um, it wasn't anything new to me. Yeah, like my, my, my dad was a big Arsenal fan, but he just loved football and he, he drummed it into me from day one, really, that, that he wanted me to be a professional footballer. And obviously, I I loved it. Um, so, for me, as soon as the opportunity come to join a club, um, be it Arsenal, Chelsea, like Spurs, the opportunity was there with Tottenham. And I weren't about to pass it up because of uh, an allegiance to a different club, you know. So, um, the opportunity was was great for me to go to a club like Spurs and, um, and be coached properly. So... Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was always the case. I felt like like so by the time I turned pro, I felt like I'd been at Tottenham forever, and everyone everyone who knew that I was an Arsenal fan also knew that I was at Spurs and stuff like that. So it, the two never conflicted at all, really. And are there a lot of sort of young pros in that position, maybe where they go into other clubs and they support the arch rival, or but as as you say, it just comes down to wanting to be a footballer, doesn't it? And you sort of put that to a side, and you know, you go in, you learn from coaches at Tottenham because that's an amazing opportunity. And then you can have posters of Dennis Burkham at home. Maybe that's fine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. Like you, you dream of, you just dream of, well, I dreamt of, of being a professional footballer and playing in the Premier League. So um, I weren't going to let Allegiance or anything like that, you know, get get in my way. Um, that was all I ever wanted to do. And, and my opportunity came at Spurs. And, you know, I'll always, always be thankful for that. I had a, I had a great, great, childhood upbringing like my whole football upbringing um as far as my coaching is down at Tottenham uh yeah I mean my I followed Arsenal and I went to Arsenal games but you know I love football I loved going to watch Spurs as well when I was an apprentice like um you know before actually being involved when you wrote all the games I, I love doing that as well and obviously I got some of my family were, were, were Tottenham uh a cousin one of my first cousins is a mad Spurs fan so he would come along with me every week when we when we go to the games as well. Um, so I've got an affinity towards the club as well. You know, it's not. <laughs> I'm a bit different to some of my Arsenal mates who can't stand Tottenham. Obviously, I. Uh, I imagine, yeah. <laughs> I've got a different uh, outlook on it because it, it played such a big part in 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 my childhood and in my life. To be honest, uh, getting me to you know to to having a career. Johnny, talk us through what that's like in terms of you being scouted by Spurs and eventually signing for them. Because, as you said, you signed professional terms for the club in 2000. What was that like? I mean, was it a case that scouts were coming to watch you every week? When did you first know Spurs' interest? And then for you, what were your impressions upon actually arriving at the club? I was just playing for my Sunday side, which was a thing called Westwood Boys, who played in, in Camden and, and a lot of football out sort of West London way another lifetime ago. I can't actually remember a specific moment being approached. I, I guess it would have been through my dad, uh, a scout approaching my dad. And then I mean, like my dad saying, look, Spurs, Spurs want you to go down training there. So, um, 
it was so different. I mean, I've been to, to Tottenham's new training ground and obviously, you know I mean, it's a magnificent place that you see now. But when I first when I first joined the club, we were still training in the old ball court. It was concrete downstairs. They had Astro upstairs, but not like your 4Gs that you've got now. It was a different time. When I look back on it, I think it's amazing, really. Like a massive club like Spurs that, you, you know, some weeks you have 10 and 11-year-olds running around on concrete um, and dodging sort of oil oil tracks from bars and things like that but um but i never give it a second's fault at the time you just you was kicking a football and that was all that mattered but to what a, a 10 or 11 year old now would face joining a club like spurs first impressions then is when you got through the door at spurs lodge and, and as you said i know you're talking about amazingly it's still actually there just behind the new stadium that old school pitch you used to train on still actually stands on that site obviously they don't use it anymore but it's still there. But it's interesting you say how much the club has actually grown and, and the experience kids would have these days compared to them. Your impressions when obviously you've gone to Camden and, and that sort of thing, to then go into a Premier League club. So were, was any of the training done at the Spurs Lodge in Chigwell or anything like that? Well, when I, when I first joined, um, the, the Tottenham was still based at Mill Hill then, back then. Um, and then Spurs Lodge was, was built. Oh, you'll probably, you'll, you'll know better than me when Spurs Lodge was built. But... Um, yeah, we moved to there. So my, my first real memories of that place was being an apprentice, coming in every day, and yeah, it's just just a different world. You leave school, and then all of a sudden you're you're coming into a place like that, surrounded by first team professionals, and you're cleaning boots and getting the kit, and it's just just completely different to anything that you'd ever known. But what I mean, what yeah, Spurs Lodge, what a place to work. Pitches were pitches were tremendous. Um, just remember just having a time of my life really just constant constant laughing with, with with your group you end up sort of lifelong mates with some of the some of the boys that you're that you're apprentices with that don't even go on to have careers in the game but you know you end up you end up friends for life so um it was a great working environment um probably looking back again like you look at the facilities now at the new training ground and probably Spurs Lodge weren't wasn't a patch on that Probably not not a massive gym, um, changing rooms not not huge for me. It was it was perfect perfect place to sort of be taught how to to be a professional really. Johnny, during the two thousand and one two season, you injured both your knees that affected most of that season in the reserve side. Was that the first series of injuries that you suffered in your career? And then did you worry if you would break through after you had those injuries at Tottenham? Yeah, that was the first serious injury I had. Really, it was a strange one because it wasn't. It was tendonitis in both my knees in patella, which is a strange injury. It's not like an impact. You go into a game and you get a bad tackle and break your ankle or your leg and you know exactly what's happened. Like It was sort of an ongoing thing and probably probably due to growing and your body changing and things like that. But in both my, both my knees, I had severe tendonitis, which, which made it impossible for me to, to train and play. So yeah, that was a setback at the time, a real sort of frustration because I was doing quite well and involved with the reserves and things like that and it, that, that, that set me back a little bit I do need them setbacks and and learn about rehab and what you need to do to come back stronger and things like that and at the time it probably just stalled my progression a little bit but I don't think it done any real lasting damage the reserve side at that time was managed by a real sort of Tottenham man and Spurs legend Chrissy Hewton how did you find him as a man and also as a manager yeah I loved Chris uh, he's a great great man great coach um a lot, a lot of uh, respect for Chris, and I've sort of 
I've sort of kept in touch with him down the years, really. I, I've seen him quite a lot recently at games, obviously, when, when we're out watching games and players and things like that. Uh, Chris has been out at a lot of games recently, you know, where he's not working. Um, I guess just, just keeping up to date with everything. And he actually, I live not too far from him. My wife and his daughter are quite friendly. So um, down the years, you know, I've always seen him, seen him at different things. So, um, yeah. Great, great respect for Chris. He's a, he, he was a great coach back then. Um, I didn't I didn't necessarily think that he was going to go and go on and have the the management career that that, that he's had because um, he seemed pretty content in, in his role back then. But obviously he had he had uh, greater ambitions, and obviously he's gone on and proved himself to be a great manager as well. So um, it's been it's been great for me to see how well he's done. Uh, obviously, having been there at the start of his coaching journey, really. Yeah, and like I say, he's so fondly thought of, especially amongst the Spurs family. He's still very much given a great reception if he does, when he does come back as a manager at an opposing club. Everyone does love Chris Hewton. I want to ask you, Johnny, about your, your England days. Um, you were obviously, whilst coming through at Spurs, you were regularly selected for the England youth sides. What were your memories yeah. of that for you? And who were the standout players at the time that you played alongside when you did eventually break through into the England youth setup? I just loved it. It was I just loved representing my country. Um, for me, that was the pinnacle at the time to get picked. I think I was first picked under 17s and then I went right through to 18s, 19s, 20s, played in the two long tournament, um, never broke into the to the full 21s squad. Um, he was getting a lot of lads there who was, who was playing in first teams regularly and I, I, I could never get into that squad. But I loved playing. We, we had a strong group. Um, Jermaine Defoe was up, was up front. Uh, from my group, obviously, I went, to play, I went on to play with Jermaine for Spurs. Um, Kevin Nolan, who obviously went on to have a great career. Jermaine Pennant, can't think of any others off the top of my head. But yeah, we, we, we had a strong group, but I loved it. I, re- I really enjoyed it. Brought out something a bit different in you, I think, representing your country. I'd have loved to have, to have gone on and represented the 21s. And uh, obviously, you know, you dream about playing for, for your full squad when you're younger but obviously I was I was never quite good enough for for that but I'm grateful that I had the opportunities to to play at the, at the younger age groups that I did Johnny can I just ask you something on England age groups that's relevant to your time uh, coming through into those age groups but also t- today I sort of feel sometimes like with the England age groups the players get selected from a young age and then those yeah. same players stay in there regardless of their performances so you have some players and I'll give you an example if someone like Oliver Skip at Tottenham he's been Absolutely superb in under-18s games for a number of years. Playing in the under-23, stepped up, you know, no no change in his performances, still dominating games, even played first team for Tottenham. And only yeah. recently he got into the England under-21 setup, And for years it felt like just the same lads from Chelsea, Manchester City were getting selected for the under-18s. Is that because they want to breed a sort of continuity at that England level? I think so. I think what they're trying to do is that they call it Club England these days. And I think it's very much they're trying to create a club culture at, at international level, and I, and I guess one of the the ways that they see that doing is having continuity in the players that they're picking. Um, so that that's probably one of the reasons. Obviously, then you, you but you do run into the problem where if someone isn't performing and, and someone else is, do, do they do they go with the one? I think Southgate does this even at, even at first team level. He de- he'll definitely lean towards players that he knows, players that have come through the 21 system rather than taking a gamble on someone who, who perhaps hasn't been in that system unless they're completely, you know, 
unbelievably playing well in the Premier League and you can't ignore them, um, then I think you see a little bit of that even even at senior level. And I, and I guess the answer is, yeah, what you said, they're trying to create sort of a continuity and almost like a club feel at international level. So I, I get it in one respect, but obviously it does mean that sometimes it's for other people to break in. So I think you've got to get a balance, really. Kind of back to Spurs, you were... You know, at the time, you were heading out on loan to try and gain that vital experience at lower leagues. Uh, your first being at Swindon Town. Who arranged that for you at the club? Yeah. And what was your experience like of playing for Swindon? Who arranged that? I don't know if anyone at the club arranged that or whether that would have been... So Andy King, the, the late Andy King, who was a, he was a great player in his day for, for Everton, amongst others, uh, and a good manager as well. He was the manager of Swindon at the time. I think he contacted my agent, or my agent might have even set it up. I, I honestly can't really remember how it come about, but I remember taking a call from Andy King. I found that quite daunting, just my phone going and there being a sort of a manager sort of barking down the phone to me, telling me that he wants me to come down to Swindon, and which was miles away from home, and like um, thinking, oh God, like, but um, yeah, obviously it was my first, my first taste of first team football and I was nowhere near the uh, the Tottenham side at the time so uh, it was a no-brainer about going down and getting that that first team experience and again I loved it I loved it as soon as, as, soon as I played a, a league match I knew that was like reserve football was good at the time um, reserve football was strong at the time to be honest because you'd get a lot of senior senior players involved ones who wasn't in it couldn't get a game on a Saturday played in the reserves generally back then and it's changed now obviously it's 23s and uh, and you, you generally get younger players but reserves was strong but you couldn't when I went got on like a, a taste of first team football and you're playing for three points and you're in front of a you know a bigger crowd and it means more um, I knew that that was what I needed um, and then once you have them loans yeah it's about it's about trying to improve the standard that you've been at and get better and better. The plan being ultimately that you'll come back and um, and be in, be in a position to try and get in Tottenham's first team. So I, I really enjoyed them, them early loans and really beneficial they are to, to any young player's career. Just on your second loan, obviously after that, you then went out to Colchester. That's a bit closer to home. On that loan, sort of, did Tottenham say to you before that, you know, we're happy with what you've done at Swindon and we want you to keep getting minutes under your belt, keep playing Saturdays. Was that the sort of message you were getting from the club at that point? Well, I, I actually remember this quite well. I was a bit disappointed at the time in, well, not not the club. It, it, it was actually in Glenn, Glenn Hoddle at the time, who was the manager. And my, my, my loan came to an end at Swindon and I was a bit... I didn't know whether to stay. I could have extended it and I could, or I could have come back and... You know, I just wanted a bit of guidance, really. Um, I wasn't sure what, 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 I mean, I was a young lad. I wasn't sure what the right thing at the time was. And I actually knocked on his door and plucked up the courage to go and see see him. And and he sort of, I don't know, he was a little bit dismissive, really, as if it, you know, he wasn't. I just came out of there with the impression that he didn't really care what I'd done, whether I stayed. And, and, and probably rightly so. You know, he's got bigger fish to fry than me, but I just felt like he could have. Could have been a little bit more empathetic with me, um, and I come out of there thinking, "Well, I don't know whether I should have stayed there or whether I should, you know." Um, so then the Colchester thing come about, and I, and I sort of knew then that well, I think I need to take that opportunity because you know, the manager obviously he's not in any any rush to to get me back 
back here, which is fine. But I, I, you know, I'd rather it, it had just sort of said that. You know, go out and loan, go on another loan. You know, get more experience, and then and then you'll be in a better position. But he didn't really give me that at the time, which um, I found a little bit disappointing. Um, so yeah, so then you know the opportunity to go to Colchester come along, and and I, and I took that. You just out of interest, you, you saw that Glenn there. Johnny, is it in those early days having that interaction with the manager? I mean, we saw it a lot with Pochettino was at Spurs where, you know, a lot of it was kind of blooding through the youth and he would go and watch them regularly and try and have that relationship with them from a from a, from a youth level upwards. Yeah. W- was that not really the case at Tottenham where Glenn would have that opportunity to, well, as I had the opportunity to, to not put himself out there, to go and have more of an influence with the younger players, to meet them, to actually go and see that kind of, if you want to put it, that kind of development process kind of a, a flow down of that was that not really happening at Tottenham to some degree at the time it wasn't happening at the time it probably wasn't happening anywhere at the time it, it's changed completely now I mean all the big clubs they would have designated people people to to deal with these loans and make sure that everyone out on loan is taken care of and then they're watched and that they're regularly in contact but back then it was like off you go son like I think I probably went to Swindon for three months and never heard from anyone at Tottenham at the time. And that is not a criticism of Spurs. That was how it was. Go on, off you go. And um, and I didn't mind that. It was just when I came back, I was I was after a bit of guidance. And obviously, it, Glenn Oddle is, is, is a legend. And to, to go and knock on his door and say, like, uh, Gaffer, can I have, you know, a bit of your time and a bit of advice uh, was... I remember it being tough at the time. Um, and I didn't come away with it feeling any better about it which which was a bit of a disappointment but I, you know I've since seen that managers and coaches have got a million things to deal with and you know sometimes a young lad knocking on your door about you know a loan that you consider probably insignificant is insignificant to him but obviously to me it meant the world um, and so sort of I sort of remember that I've tried to I've tried to sort of take that into my coaching really that what might seem small to you can can be a real big deal to other people. So try and sort of give it, give it the time and and thought that, you know, that perhaps I wasn't given at that time. Um, but yeah, the whole loan scape has changed completely now. Anyway, so I mean that situation would probably never really arise these days. Anyway, and in your final loan before your breakthrough at, at Spurs, you joined Coventry City on an initial one month deal in November of two thousand and three. Scored on your debut in a one one draw against Palace. Yeah. He also scored a last-minute winner against local rivals West Brom Albion. However, just three days after scoring your second goal, you were recalled by Spurs. Were you disappointed to be recalled, having made such a positive impression? Or did you feel you would be going back to Spurs and making that breakthrough? Did anyone at Tottenham sort of give you any inkling, oh, look, we're recalling you for this reason? Or did you want to stay and, and keep doing well? Because you've obviously started really well. On- yeah, I, I was doing really well. I was really enjoying it. Gary McAllister was the player manager. Um and what a man to learn off. I mean, I was really enjoying my time. I actually came on for him, I think, in that in that debut game when, when I scored. I think he subbed himself off and put me on and I ended up scoring. So to play with someone and for someone like that was was brilliant for me at the time. Um, and, and I was enjoying it. But I think I think Glenn had I think Glenn had left the club and uh, and David Pleat had taken over and and Pleat, he had always liked me and the time where he took over before he he had brought me up with the first team and I, and I've traveled to a few games and I've never got, I don't think I'd ever got on the bench or certainly never played, but it had me in and around the squad. So I knew the Pleat uh, liked me and then uh, yeah, Glenn left the club and, uh, and, and Pleat was, went back into caretaker um, charge. So I did think that there was a possibility that 
you know, as obviously because I was doing well at commentary as well, that I might be a consideration. So um, it was actually, yeah, it was actually Chrissy who called me, Chrissy Uton. I remember him calling me and, and saying, look, we're, we're recalling you. Um, you you're going to be involved. Um, so obviously, yeah, I wasn't, I was, I was enjoying my time at commentary, but, you know, my dream was to play with Spurs. So when that call come and, and they're saying you, they're recalling you to, to be involved, I couldn't have get down the M1 quick enough, to be honest. Um, because, <laughs> because I thought I, I, I didn't expect to be playing so soon after that phone call, but, you know, I knew that I might have an opportunity to, to perhaps be involved. So yeah, I was, I was well pleased. You mentioned there about the, the change in management with Hoddle going out, Pete coming in just on Hoddle. Um, was you around the dressing room at that time where Hoddle was let go? And what is that like being in part of a dressing room where there is that managerial change? Do you actually, can you actually see that happening? I, I know I kind of, now obviously you're an assistant, so you, you see it obviously as a, in a different way. But being a player in a dressing room and you see the players that are no longer playing for that manager and there needing to be a change, did you get the feeling that was the case with Glenn? Because there's no doubt Glenn Hoddle for Tottenham is a legend, always been known as a magnificent player. It's a shame it never worked out from it for him from the management perspective, probably because of what he achieved as a player. But there was that feeling that maybe, from a management perspective, that's what maybe let Glenn's game down when it came to the management side of things. What was that like being a player in that dressing room and him losing his job? Yeah, so I think it's often said of Glenn, a brilliant coach, uh, fantastic footballer, a good man. You know, when he joined in training, he was, you know, you hear these stories all the time, but he, he genuinely was probably still the best player. But um, I think my my little anecdote from earlier is probably an example of, of, of where maybe it wasn't his strong point with the man management. And I've heard, I have heard a lot of people say that about him and maybe that was his downfall. I can't actually, I, I was out on loan, so I can't remember the feeling in the dressing room and if you could see it coming, I can't remember, but when you are struggling and you do, you you can really feel the tide turning sometimes on a manager, sometimes even to the point where you know you're going into a game and if you don't get a result that that you're done or that you're getting beat by a couple when a third and a fourth will go in and you think this could be the end. Like you, I've been there a few times when, when you know that, the, the 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 walls are closing in. I can't remember if that was the case because I was out on loan, so I, I wasn't really aware of it. But yeah, you do you do get that sense um, that, that the manager's losing. And obviously now I've got to be acutely aware of that in what I do, uh, the mood and the vibe that you are getting back from your players. Because uh, if if that starts happening to me now, then I know that the writing's on the wall for me. So you have to try, <laughs> you know what I mean. You have to try course, and it before you get to that point. But I, Sacking, sacking, unfortunately, are inevitable in what we do, and uh, we're all, you know, we're all aware of that. But we get into that game with our eyes wide open, knowing that that someday uh, it's going to happen to us all. So we just have to deal with it. Just shortly after you were recalled, a couple of weeks, in fact, you did actually make your full Tottenham Hotspur debut for the first team on Boxing Day of 2003, where you started the whole game in our defeat at Portsmouth. What are sort of your memories of that day, the build-up to the game? When did you find out you'd actually be playing? And how were the sort of other players around you in the lead-up to, to you making your full, full first-team debut? I remember it well. You do shape um, two days before, generally. And I was in the team in the shape. So I'm thinking, right, this is my opportunity. It's coming. Uh, and then the team gets named the day before. But 
there was loads of times after that that I was in the, I was in the shape on a Thursday and then managed to play my way out of the team as well. So um, to actually get told on the Friday that you're playing and that you're getting your debut, yeah, I was, it's, it's everything I ever dreamed of. I, I can remember walking out um, for the game at Fratton Park thinking this is it, this is what, you know, this is what I've been waiting for. And being really surprised that I wasn't nervous because w- when I'd thought about making my debut for Tottenham, I thought to myself, I don't know how I'm going to handle it because I'm going to be nervous that, you know, I won't be able to perform. That was always how I thought I would feel. Yet when I walked out, I wasn't at all. I don't know why, I just, I think probably excitement. And I loved it. I know we lost the game, but for me at that time, that was almost insignificant. It was such a sort of milestone in my life, really. Um making that debut that, that the result almost become insignificant to me at the time. Um, and I, I, I sort of actually remember doing pretty well, but being completely knackered. I think I got cramped in both hamstrings by the end of the game. Don't know how I managed to stay on really for the whole, oh, I think I might have come off right at the death, but um, loved it. Even though we lost, loved it. And, you know, I just wanted more after that. It was a great experience. So that team we done up on your debut with, it was Keller, and then a back four, a car, Gardner, Richards, Tarico. Then there was you in midfield with Poyet. Uh, Lely King played on that day as well. Then we had Stefan Dalmat, Canute and Robbie Keane. Who were the standouts of that team for you when you broke through on that game? Ledley and Keane were the, were the ones. I'd known Ledley for years, year above me. Um, Obviously, broke into the side, you know, a lot, a lot sooner than I did, and went on to have, yeah, Ledley. Ledley was unbelievable, different class, and um, someone that I really looked up to uh, and aspired to be like, and, and a great, a great guy as well. So um, he was, he he was a standout. But on top of that, Kino, Kino for me was the go-to man. So if we, he, I think he was our best player during that whole period. If we was ever in trouble in a game, it was like, let's try and get the ball to, to Robbie. And more often than not, he would do something. He was a brilliant, brilliant player. Great goal scorer, good, good, good fella. Um, hard, like hard, he would, he would be demanding of you, um, make, making sure that you're on a game. And it, it, him and Kari were the standouts for that, Steve Carr, who could moan with the best of them. But, yeah, but it kept you on your toes and got the best out of you. So, uh, yeah, for me, the standouts in that team were... Were Robbie and Lily probably Gus was a great player. He was coming towards the end of his career a little bit then. Um, and Steve Carr was obviously a brilliant player as well. One other player from that lineup I must ask you about, Dalmat, who arrived at the club on loan from Inter Milan. He mm. on his day looked like an unbelievable player, but we hear a lot of stories from ex pros we do interviews with. Well, apparently, yeah. he was a bit of a, a head case sort of thing in training and had some run ins with David Pleat or, or others. Did yeah. he shed any light on that at all? What was he like to firstly see as a player? And was there anything to do with his personality that maybe led to him not being such a success at Tottenham? Yeah, I mean, you've probably heard this before. Well, you definitely have because you've touched on it there. And I'll, I'll echo probably the things that you said. Unbelievable player. Unbelievable on his day. Strong, quick, good feet, could dribble, could score. Like He basically had everything. He, he reminded me a lot of when Payet come along a bit later on, West Ham. Um, he's very, very similar to him on his day and I think he could definitely have been that that type of a player and that successful but you're right he had he had an attitude problem his attitude stunk and uh, 
you know, if if anyone ever said anything to him, then he would he would sulk, and it was. I imagine looking at it now from a coach's perspective, really, really difficult um, to get the best out of him. Uh, temperamental. You never knew sort of what sort of mood he was going to be in. Players like that are difficult to deal with. You know, high, high, high maintenance. You want high output, low maintenance is what is what you're after. Um, you can deal with high maintenance, high output, and gave you nothing really. So um, a real enigma, if you like, but unbelievable talent. Probably wasted talent, really. When, when I think about what he could do uh, with a football and how good he could have been, he probably never had the career that he had. Probably could have been even better. That probably also explains, Johnny, how we got him on loan from Inter Milan. That, that might, at the time... Well, there you go, yeah. Well, he's for Inter, so he's obviously top, top player. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they sent him out. Yeah. They sent him out. And, and, and he, never, he never lasted at Spurs either, did he? We, we never took the... The punt on him. So you mentioned Johnny a lot about this this chap uh, throughout this show already. David Pleat, he was the caretaker manager at the time where you said you got that breakthrough after Glenn was sacked. Tell us yeah. what it's like playing for Pleaty. Again, we get different stories from different players and what Pleaty was like as a character. I mean, by all accounts, he's still around the, the Spurs network now. I know he still goes yeah. to watch games. He was heavily influential yeah. behind Delhi Ali coming he's to Tottenham. He's still working for the club now. I see him. I see him. Probably five, six weeks ago, an under twenty threes game. It was it was Charlton v Watford over at St Albans. Really? He was there watching, and encyclopedic knowledge of players at all levels. Still unbelievable. That is fascinating. Um, that is fascinating. Yeah, what yeah, was it like really, for you to get your breakthrough under him, Johnny? What was that like for you? Uh, oh, I was. I knew he was fond of me, so to give, I'll always have you know a soft spot for him because he gave me that opportunity. But real, a real character, Pleaty. He. Uh, Funny man, dry sense of humour, and uh, he left me out a few times. And I can remember sort of our sulking with him because maybe I travelled. I was with the I was with the squad probably non-stop for about two seasons. But you know, I'd play, and then sometimes I wouldn't even be on the bench in the following game. But I'd travel still with the squad, so I was always around it. But once you've had that taste, and then say you you travel and you're not on the bench. You got the ump about it, and Pleaty would sense that, and it it sort of it let you have a little sulk for a while, then come out with a little one liner, wisecrack, and you couldn't help but laugh. Uh, a real sort of dry sense of humour, but I, I liked him. I, I found him. I found, he was a good. He was a good. He knew the game inside out. Um, I think he let Chrissy do a lot of the coaching, but but he knew what he wanted. He um, wanted from his team, and he had a real sort of um, real way about him, a real unique way about him. Which, even when I see him now, you know, he's, he's a lot older, but he's still got his wits about him and he's got that that little one-liner and a little joke. I remember him telling me once at Underhill, uh, Barnet, when we was playing them pre-season, massive hill at Underhill, that, that uh, I looked like a car horse trying to run back up the hill. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, just stuff like that. He was probably right as well, but stuff like that, completely, he would just, he could like just bring you down with, with a little one-liner like that. But when you look back, funny, funny stuff. Um, but he had a way of getting the best well, out of me. I think he, he got the best out of me that he could in, in that time. Oh, yeah, fond memories of Pleaty. In a game that I remember fondly, as, as I was actually in the away end with my old man as a treat for, I think, my 14th birthday, um, you scored your first goal for Tottenham in our 4-2 win at Charlton. It was yeah. a high school and sort of, uh, I remember the volley so clearly. Because we the away end was just above the goal. And you volleyed it in right in front of us. It was sort of a Tuesday evening. Um, yeah, it was a nice game. Still yeah. three points for us. Because in typical Spurs fashion, we led the game comfortably, 3-0. We yeah. had Simon Davis, Jermaine Defoe, Deadly getting the goals. 
Yeah. Uh, and then we conspired to concede twice and come under a whole barrage of pressure yeah. before you chested that ball down and volleyed it in in front of us. Yeah. What do you remember about that game and that goal? And how did you feel bagging your first goal for, for Spurs? And, and, you know, it was such an important goal as well. Yeah, well, exactly. it was my only goal as well. It was the only one I ever scored, which is quite ironic, really. They ended up against Cholton. So, um, I remember it well, yeah. I mean, to, to get your first goal and obviously at that end where, where all the Spurs fans were behind it, my old man was in the crowd behind the goal. Um, and I think that was probably my best game for Tottenham as well. I played I played well that night. So, um, I think the goal was sort of, you know, the crowning. But for me, that was, that was, my, that was my ultimate moment in the Tottenham shirt. Uh, it never got as good as that again, really, after that. But um, something that lived live with me forever, scoring that goal. And yeah, like it, it was, it actually turned out to be the winner, really, because, like you say, 3 0 up and then 3 2, they was coming back into it. So it sort of sealed the game. And that was, that was a, around a mad time where we was doing that, we was doing that almost weekly, scoring a load, then conceding a load, or being in the lead and then conceding loads. And John, we're still doing it now, mate. We're nothing's changed, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, the Fed's got, got it getting worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you've got Harry Kane now, so he makes yeah, a bit of a difference. Yeah, that's true. We have got Harry, bless him, where we can, get, where we can keep him fit. But I think, to be honest, Johnny, I, I hate to say it, I feel like we're going back to those to those millennium days the way it's going at the moment. No, honestly, I look at Spurs now and, and, and the teams that came after when I was in the... I mean, I look back and think, cool, like, that the player that I was would get nowhere near like a Tottenham now, like it's, they kicked on like incredibly. Um, but yeah, we had, we had, we had good players, but if you look at Spurs' team and their squad now, yeah, they've come on a, a million miles from, from those days. Like, um, but yeah, brilliant, brilliant memories. Great stuff. Johnny, just a month later, you signed after John said about that game there, you know, your, your goal, you signed a new long-term deal at the club after making 11 first team appearances. You were 21 at the time and entering the final few months of your existing deal. And you actually admitted that you did not imagine being offered a new one when you headed off to Coventry on low November. You said, I didn't think I'd be offered one before. I've come back, been given a chance, and I've impressed to the extent that I've been offered a new deal. I had more or less resigned myself to playing elsewhere, but things have changed around for me. Just from yeah. that point onwards, Johnny, just how was it for you knowing that the club actually had the confidence in you and you successfully integrated yourself as a Premier League player? Yeah, I mean, brilliant. Like one, once I, when I went out on loan to Coventry, yeah, I remember thinking like I need to impress here because this could be, you know, they might come in for me or um, another championship side or so, something like that. So I was definitely thinking about my future elsewhere, thinking that I might never get the opportunity for Spurs. And then when I first got in the team and made my debut, and I, I done well for the first sort of probably what do you say seven games was it when I signed a deal? I impressed in that time. Um, and, and, and yeah, I probably merited that deal, and all of a sudden everything's changed. And now, but that I think that was when, I think that was probably when it changed around for me. So great, yeah, you, you know, you get in, you get involved, you establish, you get the new deal, you become a part of it. But then there become um, almost an expectancy when you first get in the side, and that's probably why I weren't nervous looking back on it, because you know you play it, you're playing off instinct, and nothing's expected of you. You know, you're getting this opportunity. No one knows whether you're going to take it or not. And then when you do and you become sort of a regular in the side or in the squad, then I found that there was a sort of um, an expectation came with it that that I found difficult to, to deal with and, and to live up to, to be honest. I think I'd, uh, I'd done really well in, the, in that opening 
couple of months. But then after that, I found it really tough to sustain the form. Um, and with the expectation become a great a sort of burden on me. And then I found that difficult to deal with. I can remember going into games after that, being really nervous and probably playing within myself because of that. And it, it sort of changed around. It was, it was, it was, it was difficult to deal with. Um, and it's probably why I never really kicked on after that, to be honest, because I, I, I never really handled it and probably wasn't true. When I look back on it, I, I, I think I, I say to myself, I probably wasn't quite good enough for, you know, to, to sustain it at a club like Spurs. Um, and that's fine. I, I had the opportunity and I, I loved it. Grateful. Um, but it was really, really difficult for me to to sustain that and, and deal with that expectation that came after. Um, yes, yeah, so I never really sort of kicked on. After I signed that deal, I never really kicked on. When you did sign that deal, you sort of broke in. It was also a big season for several of the club's academy products who you would have known well coming through that the, the you set up as, you know, there was the likes of Stephen Kelly, Dean Marnie also made their debuts. Yeah. Uh, and then youngsters like Lee Barnard, Robbie Birch, Mark Yates were all called into the first team squad. Yeah. What an experience that must have been for you seeing so many of your friends as well. You know, there would have been lifelong friends at that point coming through and after all your years of hard work together. Yeah. Stand out in that youth team. And did you expect any of those players to go further in the game, maybe? Um, Yatesy, when he first came over from Ireland, was a brilliant little player. Really, really brilliant little player. And practically living with me at one stage when I, when I got my first flat uh, local. And same with, with, with Steve Kelly. I pretty much lived with him because he got a flat before me. So uh, we become really, really close. And to make you, to be in and around the squad with those, with those lads is, was, was brilliant. Was brilliant. Um, Steve, Steve Kelly ended up playing uh, quite a few games. D- Dino, the Marnie broke in. I think he scored a couple. Of- New Year's Day against Everton. He got two. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, really, I remember being really pleased for, for Dino when he broke in. Lee Barnard got a little taste of it as well in and around that time. So we was getting opportunities. We was. Um, we you know we had a decent crop of youngsters and to be honest, like the. It wasn't the, the the strongest Tottenham side you've ever seen, was it? So we was getting opportunities. Birchie was in and around it as well, like you said. So brilliant to be able to share that. You know, like you're not the only one that, that's come through uh, and involved. It was nice to, to sort of be there with a few of the lads that you had come through with as well. Hello and welcome back to the second part here of the last word on Spurs. Delighted to be joined with John from Lee White Rose and also Johnny Jackson, former Spurs player. Delighted to have Johnny join us for this special show. Johnny, I want to take you back to June 2014. Jack Santini took over at Spurs following the conclusion of his management of France at the World Cup. What was it like for you? Were you excited at the time by the arrival of the French manager? And what was the feeling like in the camp? Can you remember what it would have been like for the club to have attracted such a manager? And how were his first few months before we obviously saw him replaced by Martin Yeo? What was that like for you? Pleaty had shown a lot of faith in me. So I was half hoping that Pleaty would hang about, to be honest, because I thought I might have more of a chance of, of staying in and around it. And then obviously with a, you know, a, a big foreign manager coming in, you, you wonder how much of a, you know, he's not, he's not going to know anything about me. So you do wonder how much of a chance that you're going to get. Um, he actually came in and, and I think pretty sure I played in the opening game of that, of, of that season. I think it was against Liverpool. Um, so he, he, I must have done a right pre-season. He did show a little bit of faith in me, but it was, it was a strange, it was a strange time for the club because he barely spoke English, so it was really difficult um, 
on the training pitch to get his ideas across. He would like, he would literally have a translator out out on the pitch with like a. And like, that's like, like for you, Johnny, be, being a player. Then sort of, I have to ask you that. So you're you're out training. Yeah. He's got a translator there. So, so yeah. they're just basically reciprocating the message back to you, and you're just going off the back of the translator. Then is he really giving the management? <laughs> how does that how's yeah, that working? Yeah. Screw up players. I didn't like it. I don't like it because I think that it's for me, like especially being a coach now, it's the way that you give information as well. Um, so it's one thing just giving out the right info or the wrong info, whatever, but you're giving out info, but it's also the way that you're doing it and you have to try and get your players to buy into it and you have to tap into them and they, you know, they might need sort of different, different ways of, of getting it across. And I think you lose all of that when your manager is not looking at your group of players, he's looking at his translator who's then relaying what he's saying and, and how much of it is he getting right in English and stuff like that. It, it, for me, that can't work. That, that really can't work. It can't work for any length of time anyway. Um, you know, you have to make an effort to sort of, if you're, if you're coming to England, you have to speak English or learn English pretty sharpish, I think, to be able to really tap into your squad. And for them to, you know, really sort of trust in you, I think I think that that's important. And obviously, we, we never had that. We never had that, and it was difficult. I can clearly like be out on the training pitch, and you weren't quite sure what what the message was coming across, and you know, in games and stuff like that. And I, I think he found it really frustrating as well. Is that what led Johnny to to him in the end walking away? Because you never really kind of got an understanding as to why he ended up leaving Tottenham. Was it more of a case that he didn't feel maybe his message was being received by the players? Could you? I mean, what was that like for you when you found out he, he was leaving and Martin was stepping up? What, what was that like for you? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, it ju- it just never worked. It never worked. It never seemed the right fit, and he never seemed particularly content. Obviously, it was a long time ago. This is all from memory, but. Um, you know, he didn't seem like he he was fully sort of invested in it. And then obviously you get a big personality like Martin Yole walk through the door who speaks English and he's a big and aggressive man. And he he held your attention straight away, did Yole. Um, It was a completely different different approach to to what Santini had had had. Um, And I think straight away players bought into Yole and, and what he was trying to get across just because it was... It was easier to understand what he wanted, and and also it was he he was a much much better communicator um, for obvious reasons that he spoke the language, but also the way the way he got across what he wanted was completely different and, and much much clearer and better for me. It was it was a better approach, and, and obviously it worked out better for the football club. When Jacques Santini came in, it was part of a new era at Tottenham. We saw Frank Arneson come in as well as a sporting director. We saw nine signings, I believe, made. Um, so you did really well to actually start that first game at Liverpool, considering how many new signings were made and a new manager. So that's huge credit uh, to you to, 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 have, to have done that, actually, if you think of such a turnover of the playing staff. And yeah. obviously, as we said, he, you know, he didn't last long. And my question would be sort of, you know, Martin Yo is remembered very fondly by Tottenham fans. They see it as a sort of turning point as to maybe where we've got to now, where the performances and the levels maybe increased under his management. They sort of felt proud of the club again when Martin Yol was in charge, you know, when he was there, did it feel like he was always going to take over from, from Jacques Santini at some point or did he just sort of command the players better? Yeah, I just think he had a better, he had a better relationship with the players because of the language thing and because of just, just the way he was really. And I think it, it was obvious that he was going to step up and be that guy. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think 
for me, it was a turning point. And I certainly felt it that I was looking around and I was seeing the sort of signings that we was making. Um, and I was realising that the club was kicking on um, and that, you know, I probably wasn't going to be a part of it because I was, I was looking at the signings we was making and thinking, well, like, you know, they're, they're, better, than, they're better than me. I ain't going to be able to compete with that. Um, and Yol was, you know, Yol was instrumental in that. Um, and I remember really sort of thinking he never really fancied me. Um, it, as much as it was, for me, the start of the club kicking on, it was the beginning and the end for me as well. But, you know, the two was always going to, that was always going to go that way because if the club was going to kick on, I weren't going to kick on with it because I, I, I wasn't at that level, you know. So, um, yeah, Yol, Yol for me was definitely the sort of the string, the springboard for the for the club to kick on and and eventually, you know, go on to better things. Definitely. One character I must ask you about who was signed that summer is Nuruddin Nabet. How did you find him as a, as a character? He was hugely experienced, you know, years of Champions League experience with Deportivo, La Coruña and La Liga experience. To me, it felt like him coming in took players like Ledley to another level. Obviously, they were both centre-halves. Yeah. How did you find him? Was he approachable? Was he good with the younger players? He was, Nabet was brilliant. He was laid-back fella. He used to... Uh, <laughs> probably, the, probably the worst Muslim you've ever met. He used to like a drink. He used to smoke. He was. Uh, <laughs> he had this full-length red leather, uh, red leather coat that he'd wear on the nights out. He was, he was a real character. He was like, like a pimp coat. He had. He was a funny, funny fella, but a good player. Yeah, like you say, obviously vastly experienced. And I think he was. Uh, I don't know how old he was. It seemed like maybe he was. His career was winding down a little bit. He was 30, 35, 36. Yeah, I was going to say, I think perhaps he'd seen better days on the pitch, but he, he was obviously experienced. And uh, I enjoyed playing with him. I enjoyed being around him. He was he, he was good for the place. He was good for the changing room. Um, and I think he played, you know, you, you'll know better than me, but I think he'd he done, he done all right for Spurs. Very well. I mean, for, for a year... He was yeah. absolutely what Tottenham needed. He also scored a volley in the 5-4 game with Arsenal. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Up. Um, so I, I've only got really positive memories of Nate, but I just felt like he was exactly what we've been missing for about 10 years. Yeah. Someone who just come in, been there, done it, won it. And, and you I know what? Really sometimes they're just good for the changing room as well, players like that, whether, you know, whether they're going to play every week or not. Sometimes they're just good to have around in the changing room on the training pitch. People with experience like that can be invaluable, even if they're not necessarily always... always you know, in the eleven. So um, I remember, I remember being, him being a real sort of character and a good, a good, a good bloke around the place. I got to ask you, Johnny. This is kind of towards the end of your your period at Tottenham. I don't know if he was around the dressing room at the time, so please forgive me on this. The Lasagna Gate, the West Ham yeah. game. I've got to ask you about this game because I remember yeah. for me that's probably still to this day that rankles with me at just how. <laughs> how that game went ahead. I mean, talk us through, did you travel with the, with the, with the club for that game to West Ham? No, so it's funny because I, I, uh, I weren't in the squad. So I went out the night before with my wife-to-be at the time, my wife now, and we was actually, I can't remember if we went to a show or something, but we was in the West End. We stayed in a hotel in the West End. Um, obviously, I had a few drinks and stuff like that. So, uh, and then about half seven in the morning, my, my phone's going, it's Chrissy Uton. I was like, fuck, like, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> go for it, go for it. Please do. So I, I like, why is Christy ringing me now? Like, what's happened? So I answered it and like tried to pretend that I weren't hung over. I was like, all right, Chris. And he was like, you need to get to the training ground now. Um, a load of the players have gone down overnight ill. Uh, we're bussing a load of views 
I think it was me, maybe Lee Barnard. Yeah, of, Lee Barnard came on. Yeah, a couple of us. So we had to, we got bussed over from, from Spur Lodge to Upton Park. So obviously I'm in the West End now, like hungover, no gear on me. So I've had to like quickly get my gear on, get home, get my stuff, get to the training ground, sort of still half cut probably from the night before. <laughs> and bust over to Upton Park thinking, oh my God, I could be on the bench here. I could be involved. Um Actually, when, so when I got there, I got told, no, you're not on the bench, but like, you, you know, to be on standby because like a load of them. And then, yeah, there was a few of the lads. The one that I remember most who, who played that was really struggling was Michael Carrick. He, he looked. I knew you were going to say, I knew you were going to say that, John. Yeah. He looked awful out there, didn't he? He was, he he was really awful. dodgy. He was the one that I remember before the game thinking, blimey, you don't like, he's, he's going to be all right to play. He don't look too clever. Um, I can't remember about any of the other lads, but he's the one that sticks in my mind. You know, like he can't play a game of football, uh, and obviously he did. Um, and then what happened happened. Yeah, I think Barney was on the bench. I don't know if he'd been out the night before as well. Or what? But um, it was it was a real strange one. Really, really strange one. Like you know, obviously not being involved and having to quickly get there and then seeing everyone. Like, uh, was not there too any, close. Was there any chance, Johnny, of the game ever being called off? Because I know that was what Spurs. It, it, it seemed they were trying to do that. I trying to go back to the time yeah. before kickoff. Was there? Was there any hope of that game being postponed or not? I think we was trying to get it off. I remember that we was trying to get it off, but I think they was having none of it. Um, I guess that's why they said, "Well, you like you need to bring reinforcements because if they can't play, then you know you've got other squad members that that can." So deal with it, I guess, was, was was the line that they was given. But we was definitely trying to get it called off for obvious reasons. Um, but they just, yeah. It was, was it the last game of the season? It was, yeah, the yeah, final last game, game of the season. I guess that's why as well they couldn't call it off because everyone plays at the same time, don't they? And obviously the Champions League places and... Yeah, we just had to it, simply better Arsenal's result. And that the uh, yeah, the, the irony was, if, we got, we got, I don't know if you can remember that, that draw we got at Highbury where David slid that ball into Robbie Keane. Um, we got we got a point there, and you did feel it was advantage Tottenham going into that final day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that was probably down at one of the reasons why they wouldn't call it off as well, because you know all the games need to go on, at, and them last that last fixture needs to go on simultaneously, doesn't it? I suppose for fairness, I guess that that, that they would argue. Yeah, the, the, obviously the league weren't having none of it, but we was pushing to try and get it called off. But you know, in, in hindsight, it would have been it would have been better for Spurs to get it called off. And, and, and probably for for Carrick not to play. I can't remember how he, how he actually done, but I'm guessing it can't have been too too good considering the state. After that, after that game, Johnny, when the players came into the dressing room, obviously you were there as the 18th man or 19th man, sorry, as, as you said. But were you obviously in the dressing room after. What was what was the vibe like in there? Did the players feel really hard done by? What yeah, the, the general thing that I remember was was feeling hard done by that. You know, they felt they weren't given the best opportunity because, because like, you know, after lads had gone down, not feeling too good. So I felt like, I think that they felt a bit bit cheated, really, that they weren't given the best opportunity. And obviously, you know, missing out, the d- disappointment of missing out. They didn't have another game to sort of put it right and catch up, which was obviously massively frustrating for them. And obviously, us losing also led to Arsenal getting in the top four. Yeah, um, double, whammy, double whammy, yeah. Tottenham and everyone associated with, with the club, and you know, I just feel in this day, do you think it would still happen in this day and age if those scenario that scenario happened again? Yeah, I think it would. Yeah, they would. They would just say, look, these are the reasons you've got squads. I couldn't. It's definitely on on a, on a last on a last match day as well. I couldn't see them pulling it off. Um, 
for something like that. I really couldn't. Unless there was sabotage, which was obviously um, the rumor was that there was a bit of sabotage went on. If I mean, if that could be proved quickly enough, then I guess you'd have grounds. But um, you know, that they would just say these are the reasons you got squads shipping a couple of the couple of the boys that have been out in the West End for the night. Get them over. But moving on from that, then obviously you went out on a, on a couple more loans after that. So you went out to, to Watford and Derby County, uh, and then in June 2006, you were released by Spurs. Did you sort of expect that news was coming at that point after those two previous loans? And, and how did they sort of break that news to you? Yeah, no, I knew it was my... Uh, obviously, my contract was up and I knew it I knew it wouldn't be renewed. I hadn't played... I, I think I ended up playing maybe one game randomly. It might have been against Charlton, actually. Sort of in the middle of that season. Um, when I hadn't played for months before and I didn't play again for months after. Like, I, knew, I knew under Yole that, that, you know, that I was pretty much done. Um, and uh, and the side was kicking on, and I, I was I was ready for it. I was ready for it. I'd gone out on them loans with with sort of the viewpoint to to try and uh, turn them into a permanent, really, to get to get a, you know a good championship club to come in for me. I, when I went to Watford, I nearly signed for them. Ray Lewitton was the manager, and he really liked me. He wanted to sign me, and then I, I went back to Tottenham, and we was talking about you know making it permanent, and then he got sacked. So that one went out the window. I ended up up at the Derby that never worked out. So I was just sort of. Yeah, I knew I knew my time at Spurs was done. I was just I was just hoping that I would get a decent decent club come in for me, really. Um, you know, a decent established championship side, and it, it so happened I went to Colchester, which wasn't an established championship side. They'd just come up, um, but turned out to be a really really good move for me. So I was more than ready. I'd had my taste at Spurs. I knew I knew I wasn't quite good enough for a, you know for a club like that when they was kicking on, and I, I was I was okay with it. I'd had my opportunity and I'd had my face of first team football and I, I was ready to become a season pro, if you like, because, you know, I'd been in and out up until then and I was 22, maybe 23 even. Um, so sort of ready to kick on, if you like, with, with my career, albeit, you know, away from the, the club that you've grown up at. Having been at the club during Enoch's takeover, do you have any memories of Daniel Levy dealing with him personally at all or anything you can tell us what it's like with uh-huh. that chairman? To be honest, I don't really. I don't. I think I was right at the beginning of it, and I weren't. I weren't in and around it at that stage. I've got no dirt for you. I'm sorry, but uh, I can't. <laughs> all, all, all I all I knew it was it was it was the turning of the tide for the club. The club was kicking on. They they was kicking on, and I I knew that, that you know that they was gonna that they was gonna improve and you know become become a force if you like. I knew I knew that it was happening. I could feel that. Was happening, and I guess that was the emergence of Enoch and Levy and, and things like that. But yeah, beyond that, I've not really got that much, you know, sort of memories of that of that time. I wasn't really in and around it involved. I was shipped out on loans and stuff like that. So I was very much sort of my career at Spurs was coming to an end around that sort of time. A player from from Tottenham, who us fans and you know we've talked about on our shows, me and Ricky several times, is Troy Parrott. He was heavily linked with a move to. Charlton in, in January, actually. Yeah. Is there anything in that? Could you see maybe a loan in the future opening up once now that he's sorted out his, his sort of, uh, I believe it was regulation reasons why he had out on loan previously. The Tottenham wanted him to wait until he passed his 18th birthday. Yeah. Uh, his loan to happen, so he counts homegrown in future squads. Is there any sort of Charlton interest or championship interest do you see for, for Troy Parrott? Yeah, we, we was really interested in taking him. We liked him a lot. Um, I spoke to I spoke to a lot of people there. I spoke to Wayne Burnett, who's who obviously does a 23s yeah. that I know well, Wayne, and he, ta- he said, take him. He said he's a top lad, top top lad, top player. 
He said he might not play for us every week, but even when he's on the bench, you know, he'll bring you something coming on. Um, and obviously, we, you know, we watched, we watched him closely. We watched a lot of his clips and we had him watched in games and stuff like that. So he was well aware of what he could do. And we, yeah, we liked him, but, the, but they wasn't willing to let him go. Um, I think probably because of the age. But I mean, if you look at him, he doesn't look like a 17 year old, does he? He's, he's got he's got a great he reminds me of Kane to be honest yeah. he, and the way he moves and definitely you know if he carries on improving I think he's going to be a, a serious player um, yeah. but he is such a young lad you think 17, 18 it's, it's, a, it's still a baby in, in footballing terms um, even though he doesn't look that way you have to remember that and I think that was obviously the reservations that the club may have had but I guess when we get back playing or next season wherever that's going to be there'll be a lot of interest in him um, and I guess it will be dependent on what Spurs do in the market, striker-wise. What you know, what they'd be, what they'd be willing to to do with him. But I think he needs to get out and play some league football. The lad, I think that would be a great start for him. You know, it it, it probably walk into a lot of Championship clubs uh, on loan next year. There'll be a lot of interest for him. So, yeah, one. Well, I mean, we'll be looking at him closely. Obviously, we'll be looking at him, and you know, if it's something that we can do at the time, then we'll, then I'm sure we'll try and do it. But I'm sure there'll be fierce uh, competition as well. I haven't been to the stadium yet. It looks it looks amazing. I can't. I re- I'm looking forward to getting to a game. It's difficult for me, obviously, league games because we're always playing at the same time. I had I had my eye on on a Champions League game, trying to get to maybe um, hoping they'd get get past Leipzig, and then I could maybe go yeah, to the. We, we all hoped. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd go to the quarterfinal because I think a, a game under the lights would have been brilliant. I was sort of off lining that up with a few of my Spurs mates to, to sort that out and then obviously never got through. So, and then now we don't know when, you know, when, when we're going to be back. So it's on the back burner for a minute, but yeah, I really want to get, get over there and watch a game and it looks incredible stadium. Yeah. Oh, it's, it is, it is incredible. If the football on the pitch was just as good, I think we'd, we'd all be happy, but Spurs are a good side. They're, they're doing, they're doing all right. Don't be too doom and gloom. Well, you know, it could have been, it could have been, it could be, you could be watching the team that I was in. <laughs> They have real problems. No, listen. I think we all. Would, I think we all agree that it's definitely a, a case of like a rebuilding job. I mean, just out of interest, Johnny, for you from 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 the outside. Now you're looking, or you see Mourinho coming for Pochettino. Just so as we as we look to finish up, what was that like for you seeing that change in manager? Was that something you would have supported or or backed? No. What, what did you think of that? I loved Poch, and uh, although something. Something was, you know, his demeanour had changed. Something wasn't quite right, and I don't know what what had gone on. He didn't seem to have the same enthusiasm, um, oomph, perhaps that you saw at the end of last season. You know, in um, after the City game and after the Ajax game and things like that. Like that, that seemed to have gone a little bit. Uh, maybe he'd lost his enthusiasm. For, I don't, I don't know. But for me, I'd have liked to have seen him back to a little bit more in the market and, and given that I think he earned the right to be given that opportunity um, and Mourinho it's, it's difficult to be um, critical of Mourinho and what he's done but for me it wasn't I don't know it wasn't the right move he, he sort of he started off all jolly and looking you know a smile on his face and uh, he's now he looked, he looked different but you, you had to wonder whether it would be long before he returned to to type you know the, the Mourinho that you'd seen at United and I think you just started to see a little bit of that recently um, hope I'm wrong hope I'm wrong but yeah, for me I'd have liked to have seen Pochettino stay in place you know you, uh, 
a great young manager, you have to question whether um, they've improved by bringing Mourinho. Is he a better manager now than than what Poch is? You know, I'm not so sure. Not so sure. What's the general feeling? You. I, th- I think, I mean, for, I reckon the, the fan base is definitely split at the moment, Johnny. I, I just think we went from someone where, I think you're exactly what you said is, I think is you hit it on the head that his demeanour definitely changed, especially in that pre-season where he was questioning whether his job title, you know, was he a head coach, was he a manager? I think if it was the Pochettino of the first three or four years that was still heavily invested, I think I would have loved to see him stay, but I had that feeling that towards the end... I think he kind of, he did lose that dressing room for me, and it hurts me to say that because I'd, I'd love to have had the same man that we had for the first couple of years. But I think maybe he felt let down by the board in terms of investment. There was contributing yeah. factors where players wanted to leave. I mean, having that situation, listen, you're an assistant now. Where you've got players like Ericsson that maybe wanted to leave. You had Alderweireld, Vertonghen, Oria. These players that maybe wanted yeah. away, trying to manage that of a group of players would be so difficult. And I think the yeah. whole thing, when you put that all together. I think it's it's so it was so difficult for him that I think his job became untenable towards the end. And John, to be fair, John was Pochettino right until the very end. I don't know if it was John's way. He'd be, he'd be there now, John, still, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. No, I absolutely love Maurizio. He's my favourite manager <laughs> my whole time, sporting Tottenham. And I would have done anything for him to be given more time. I said to you, Ricky, multiple times he could lose 10 games on the bounce and I'd still back him because I just felt like we'd have such a, an opportunity there to have one of the best managers manage Tottenham and take us from the level we were to the level, you know, playing in the Champions League final. I never thought I'd see that in my life. For me, sometimes, you know, you can have a bad season. You've got to reward loyalty in life. And I felt like he'd given us loyalty, turning down Real Madrid in the past, Manchester United, etc. And he's had a few bad games. And I know the form had tailed off a bit. As I keep telling people, the form wouldn't have been that bad had we not been playing such emotionally draining double-leg games against the likes of Manchester City, Ajax, etc. in the Champions League, you know, we wouldn't have then been dropping points at Burnley and at home to Everton. It wouldn't have happened. History tells you that, you know, the five years under him. So I felt like we did pull the, the gun a bit too quick there. Um, but I wish him all the best. Um, and I hope he holds out for a really top job like a Real Madrid um, instead of doing not, another job in England. United. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's quick money there. You won't um, go there. Sure. He deserves a Real Madrid or Barcelona. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Johnny, I've got to ask you, just to, just to finish up, it's been fascinating having you. I mean, you're in the game now. You're in, yeah. I say, you're an assistant manager at Charlton. And to be fair, you guys, like you say about, you know, games every week being so vital, the way the season at the moment has kind of come to a, an abrupt, we say, end. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, what has it been like for you? Obviously, you were a massive player there, Charlton. You know, the fans adored you. You've now gone in as the assistant to Lee. What's that like for you being part of a championship club that is striving every week for three points. What's that like for you now? Kind of, I suppose it's such a results-driven business. How do you cope with that pressure? Uh, I live for it, to be honest. It's like it's one of the things that I'm missing. So, you know, that that giving you something at the end of the week that you're playing for, that three points, it, it defines your, you know, your week, your working week. Have I, have I coached them well enough that, you know, we can go and get a result? Like, win, win or look like the highs of winning... Even the lows of losing, you know, when you're getting those, you, you feel you feel alive. Well, you know, whether they're good or bad, you know that you're you're doing what you love, and and the outcome is important and it matters. So it's difficult with that gone. It's really cool, but um, yeah, I mean, it comes with its stresses for sure. It comes with its stresses, and if you, if you ask my wife, you know what I've been like <laughs> in this last month compared to the month before, she'd probably say that I'm a better better 
better husband this month. Oh, than I was Can you switch month. off, John, or is it, is it difficult for you to switch off from a game where, you, where you've got beat, for example? Um, what are you like of that evening, and does it does it rankle with you? Can you let it go? What What is that yeah. like for you to cope with? Can you cope with that? I take it home, generally. I take it home. I try not to, and, you know, my kids come to the games, and when you see them after, if it ain't gone well, it does does make you feel a little bit better but it's you wake up Sunday morning thinking oh no like uh what could I have done different and like yeah it much more than when I was a player much more because as a player you've got that at least you've got the personal performance obviously yeah you all want to win and you want you want the team to do well but you can always look at yourself and go did I do as much as I could but sometimes like with the, with the coaching and the management like you you're a bit helpless like you do all you can during the week but then it's sort of over to the players to mess it up <laughs> on a Saturday. So uh, it's, it's, I love it. I love the job. I love what I do. It's, but it is, you know, it is stressful. It comes with its stresses, but I wouldn't have it any other way, really. Johnny, I just want to make one point clear before we wrap the show up. And, and just what a sort of legend you went on to become at Charlton. I mean, I, I was looking into your, your stats earlier today. Absolutely phenomenal. 243 appearances, 51 goals, EFL yeah. team of the year. And you even captained the club to lifting the uh, League One title. I mean, yeah. was that the best moment of your, of your career? Because I, I didn't want this podcast to just be, you know, just, you know, Tottenham and maybe how that ended. I wanted to, people to know sort of what, what a legend you became at, at Charlton, for sure. Yeah, I went on to have that. If you are people about me in the game now, yeah, I, I, um, they, would, they would associate me with Charlton. For years, I was the young lad who came through at Spurs and got in the side and stuff like that. But then somewhere along the line, at Charlton, that that I became sort of a Charlton man, if you like. Uh, I think probably once I became captain and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, it's been a massive part of my life. I've been I've been there ten years now, nine and well, probably you know more than that now, ten and a half years, something like that. Nine, nine as a player, sort of year and a half now, coaching two years, going on two years. So huge part of my life, um, and. You know, I had my my biz, biggest successes, albeit you know at a lower level than what Spurs. But you know, I got to I got to obviously lift, you know, like you said, lift League One trophy and uh, things like that. A little bit, a little bit of silverware. So um, yeah, just just feel really privileged to. Although you know, it wasn't it wasn't the most glittering career playing for England and stuff like that. You know, I feel really privileged to to have had the career that I've had to, you know, to start out at a club like Spurs and get the opportunity to play for them in the Premier League. You know, I'll always I'll always feel blessed for that. And then to go on and play as many games as I have um, and have a foundation with, with a club like Charlton that I've got is uh, is really rewarding. So, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I feel content. I feel content with, with what's gone on you know how my career went and what I done, but obviously, you know, I want more now as a as a coach and manager. I've got aspirations to to do that at the very top now. So, um, yeah, that the, the player stuff's done with, and now I want to see you know how far I can take that. We never know. I might end up. I might end up back at Spurs one day. Who knows? Eh? Crazy. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be brilliant? Johnny, last question from me. I've got to ask you. For you, who is the best player that you played with during your time at Spurs? I think you may have answered this one earlier. I think you, yeah. said, you say Ledley for you. Was it Keno? Who no, you... I'm going to go. I'll go with Robbie. Robbie. Robbie was the go-to guy in the team that I was in. Yeah. Keno was the man. Keno was the man. He was a brilliant player. Scored some great goals and was proper, proper good player. Uh, was he a joker in the dressing room as well? What was he like as a character, Johnny? Yeah, around the place, he was, he was a joker. He liked to laugh and joke, but he was quite serious when it comes to the, the football. I think I touched on it earlier. He was demanding, 
Uh, he wanted a win, real winner, real winner, and great, great player. Really, I'm, I feel really sort of lucky to have played with someone like that. Um, yeah, no, Keno was the man. One last player I must ask you about. Edgar Davids, were you involved at all when he was at the club and, and what was he like as a character? I've got a, uh, me and him didn't get on. Me and him okay. didn't get on at all. He, uh, I, did, I didn't like him. I thought, yeah, I found him arrogant. A great player, by the way. Let me let me first say that, sorry, because that's the important bit. Very, very, very good player. But uh, he was arrogant. I didn't like him. I, I uh, he's, We had a bit of a run-in once in training where he said I should have passed. The way he spoke to to, to, to younger players that I didn't like, he was sort of like, you pass the ball to me because like I'm me and you're you and you know you should give it to me. He was one of those sort of... Oh, he's, probably, he's probably right. <laughs> but, um, I, didn't, I didn't like being spoken to like that. I don't think there's any need for it, you know, no matter who you are and what you've done in the game, you know, there's a way of dealing people with respect and I I, I, I didn't find that he'd done that uh, in which, and that made me not respect him regardless of who he was. So, yeah. Um, yeah, is he was a funny character. Funny did, character. Did Robbie, I don't know if you were there. Did Robbie deck him? Was that right, Johnny? Did he? Yeah, did he Robbie him yeah. Probably the same sort of thing. He probably spoke to Robbie the wrong way, and Keno took exception and, and, and put him on his ass. So he, he probably had that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> probably why Robbie's my favourite player. Actually, yeah, that, that, that <laughs> probably sums it all up. Honestly, yeah. Johnny, it's been such an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you ever so much. The brilliant Johnny Jackson. Thank you again, Johnny. It's been a pleasure having you. Jackson might have a go. He does have a go! And Johnny Jackson must have sealed it now for Tottenham. Sports Social Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.